three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we offer praise and thanksgiving because our capacity for understanding it is so limited. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it God, who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though God needed anything, since God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and a lot of the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from each one of us, for in God we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are God's offspring. And since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a day on which God will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom God has appointed. And by this, God has given assurance to all by raising that one from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of the Lord. In Middlemarch, the classic novel of manners by George Eliot, there's an exchange in there about a new doctor in town. His name is Dr. Lydgate. Of course, everybody wants to know just what kind of guy he is, this, this man is. And we find out that he's the second cousin of a very rich man, which means he's from an important family. That's kind of a critical social marker. And the fact that he's also a doctor, redounds to his credit. I mean, he's respectable, you know. Dorothea Brooke, who's 
the protagonists, is the idealistic young woman who stands as sort of a prototype of the night of a, 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 of a, at this time, the 19th century feminist, right? She's not impressed with him. When asked for a description, she says, oh, nah, tallish, dark, clever, talks well. Rather a prig, I think. And her sister says, I can never quite make out what you mean by prig. It's a fellow who shows, uh, wants to show that he has opinions. <laughs> Why, my dear, doctors must have opinions, said Mrs. Vincy. <laughs> what are they there for? Yes, mother, the opinions they are paid for, but a prig is a fellow who always makes a present to you of his opinions. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but the Me Too movement made me acutely aware of what is now a common word that has to do with patronizing men describing something to a woman that she already knows. You, oh, you've heard of this. See, the, the women have big smiles on their faces. The men are, okay. Something that she already knows, and usually, turns out, better than he does. And the word for this, of course, is... So you are aware of it. Okay, mansplaining, which according to the Urban Dictionary is when a man feels compelled to condescendingly explain something to a woman on a topic that any reasonable person could she see that she knows more about than he does. In my experience, that is decidedly rare. No, it's, it's not. Woman speaking to another woman. I don't want to drink too much tonight. I have to go to work in the morning. Man standing next to them at the bar. Well, actually, if you drink a glass of water, and take an ibuprofen before you go to bed, you won't be hung over. Woman, uh, thank you for mansplaining, but I'm less concerned with alcohol-induced dehydration and more concerned with getting to bed at a decent hour. I mean, a lot of folks apparently thought that this was an apt description of Paul. And not just with women. Paul struck just about everybody he came in contact as a the mansplainer-in-chief, convinced that he knew more about just about everything than everybody else does. And it's, I mean, it's hard to blame people for getting that impression of Paul, isn't it? I, just look at how our passage for this morning develops. Now, at the beginning of our, the chapter that opens our passage, chapter 17 in the book of Acts, Paul heads to uh, Thessalonica after passing through Amphipolis and Apollonia. And that may not mean much to you, but if you go back and you look through uh, the beginning of the chapter, uh, you find that the first thing Paul does, according to verse 2, is he went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days and argued with them from the Scriptures. Now, I don't know about you, but that description of Paul strikes me as ominous, uh, a, a, a rather uh, freighted beginning to 
an unflattering story. I mean, Paul goes into a place where he's a stranger and he starts lecturing the people gathered there uh, about how they don't really understand. I mean, he's like, charges through the Thessalonian synagogue like Tucker Carlson at an ACLU convention. I mean, if our text for this morning is accurate, then Paul apparently had a well-known habit of going into the sacred places of people he didn't know and telling them in detail how wrong they were. Now, so Paul, to all appearances, is, is, is a notorious troll. In fact, he made so many people mad with Jesus' talk that they rounded up a mob, presumably, to teach Paul some manners. Now, all of this is not to say that Paul didn't have friends. I mean, he had his share of supporters. And it turns out, when they heard about the sternly worded Yelp review that the Thessalonian mob had planned for him, Paul's friends shipped him off to Berea. Now, the folks at Berea were more receptive to Paul and to his message, Acts tells us. It seems that they actually took the time to check his preaching against Scripture and thought, well, you know, maybe he's got a point. So after this harrowing stay in Thessalonica, things are beginning to look up in Berea, but then the Thessalonians, they somehow got word that Paul was now in Berea, and then everything went to pot all over again. After a harrowing day, stay in uh, Thessalonica, just like in the, 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 the movies, the Thessalonians, they, they, they got a whiff of Paul's scent, and the posse just heads off down the trail toward Berea, kicking up dust, where they endeavor to start riots in an attempt to get to him. So he's clearly made plenty of people really angry. Once again, Paul stays one step ahead of the hordes, and his friends ship him off, now, but this time to Athens. So he leaves Berea and goes to Athens, and that's where we pick up our story for this morning. Paul is in Athens, on the lamb from vigilante justice, this time determined, we suspect, to keep a low profile. He stays in his hotel room, living off $6 peanuts from the minibar, peeking out from behind the shades, trying to avoid housekeeping, just waiting for things to cool off a bit. See, this time Paul's wised up a little bit. I mean, he knows he better lay low for a while, you know, just until the heat blows over, right? I mean, that's what he's doing. No, no, of course not. What does he do? First chance he gets... Acts tells us, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I mean, this, this Paul is, he's really a piece of work, isn't he? Now, it's tempting to dismiss his behavior as just boorish. Can't keep his mouth shut. Got no social skills. He's that guy on Facebook who, when everybody sees he's dropped into the conversation, does a collective eye roll. I mean, after all, his custom upon entering a new city is to go to the synagogue and start harassing the locals. 
Every time he starts to open his mouth, you can see Silas cringe. Please, for the love of all that's holy, just don't. Please. See, anytime someone has the sort of strong beliefs that Paul demonstrates, I don't know about you, but it makes me kind of uneasy, right? Well, why is that? Well, because we've seen so many Paul wannabes in action, haven't we? They're loud, obnoxious, always claiming to speak for God, always telling everybody else how they're doing it wrong. You can find them at just about any pride parade, complete with the troll starter kit, a bullhorn, a hand-lettered sign with ominous scriptural quotations, and cargo shorts. You know what I'm talking about, right? Or famous preachers jumping up and down, convinced that they have the inside dope on what and whom God hates. Cable news pundits committed to unspeakably distorted versions of faith and the historical revisionism on which those versions seem to rely. That's not, we think, what Christianity is all about. Now, frankly, I, I too find all this screaming and bold certainty rather off-putting, if you just want to know the truth. But as hard as it may be, let's give Paul the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Let's assume, now it's a stretch, I, I, I know, that maybe it's not him. Maybe, hear me out on this, maybe it's them. Now before you think I've completely lost it, just hear me out for a minute. What is it, as we used to say in the mountains, that Paul's got his panties in a bunch about? What is it that Paul's so hot and bothered about that he can't keep quiet, even when keeping his mouth shut would have eased his difficulties considerably? What does he bring? He brings up idols. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And what does Paul say? Well, he makes the case that Christians have a different understanding of how the world's ordered and who is ultimately in charge. According to Paul's reading of history, God created the world and all that's in it. Indeed, God created us. In God, we live and move and have our being, Acts reminds us. We are God's offspring and Here comes the crux of the argument. Since we who are flesh and blood are God's offspring, we ought not think that God is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. Now, it's tempting to dismiss this account of Paul at the Areopagus as sort of pre-modern, unsophisticated superstition, right? I mean, after all, we aren't naive enough to believe that bowing down to silver and gold will bring us meaning. We moderns would never be so hopelessly gullible as to suppose that something as crass as a material object could help to provide an intelligible account of our existence. We would never bow down and worship things we've made with our own hands, ideas of our own creation. Come on, we live in 
21st century America, for crying out loud. We don't worship idols. Now, it's been observed that the biggest problem in Scripture, as well as the biggest problem that we face today, isn't atheism, it's idolatry. All of which is rather hard for us who drink Heine Brothers and shop at Whole Foods to imagine. I mean, we've evolved to the point where idolatry has been revealed as an exercise in pre-modern myth-making, right? An exercise, the practice of which is incomprehensible to sophisticated modern folks bowing down to things that we've created ourselves. I mean, come on. It's the 21st century. We've got self-driving cars. We're not pre-modern yokels. But, I mean, is that really true? Are we so sophisticated that idolatry is no longer an issue that modern people have to deal with? I don't know. Martin Luther said that idolatry is merely a question of what God you would sacrifice your children for. And I have to be honest with you, I see just as much child sacrifice in the world today as there ever was among the unsophisticated communities of the past. We're just less honest about it. Sandy Hook, Parkland, Uvalde. Tell me we don't sacrifice our children on the altar of lesser gods. And see, at least when ancient Near Easterners sacrificed their children to Moloch, they were upfront about what they were doing. They didn't hide behind words like food stamps, just encourage poor people to be lazy. At least when Aztec parents marched their offspring to the table of sacrifice to turn them over to the folks in power, they didn't try to ease their conscience by saying, well, we got to preserve the Second Amendment. When a Phoenician priest lifted a child to the sky, he didn't try to rationalize the sacrifice he was making by saying, well, you know, I mean, if he hadn't worn a hoodie, if he hadn't appeared threatening, if he had just done what the police told him, wouldn't it come out like this? No, I, I, I don't buy the premise that we're more sophisticated because we sacrifice our children and our families, our friends and neighbors to less messy gods. Just less honest about what we're doing, I guess. People, I, even good church folks are bleeding all over their families to lay lives at the altar of lesser gods. Even the way we do church sometimes can be an idol, right? At the feet of which we're capable of sacrificing community in favor of a focus on the individual or the past. Or, I mean, people still bow down to idols. It's just that we name them differently now. And the thing is, Paul is taking this message to the streets at considerable risk to himself. Why? Well, Is the, 
Let me ask you this. Why does Paul continue to make this case that worshiping something or someone other than God is misplaced devotion? Even when making that kind of charge endangers his own life. Why does he do it? I mean, is he just like socially inept, kind of an obnoxious bonehead? Or is it because his message is a matter of life and death? Oh, now see, you're just being dramatic there. Well, am I? Do we really believe that lives aren't lost every day, even in the land of Amazon Prime free delivery and iPhones? At the altar of lesser gods? I mean, what Paul's getting at is that after Easter, if it's true that we've been given the assurance that by raising Jesus from the dead, God has said no to the systems that sacrifice our children, then we have a story to, about a new world that we just can't keep to ourselves. In a world willing to pray to any God who promises to keep us safe from the people who don't look like us, in a world where the music of our worship sounds so often like the ticking of a time clock or the growl of an SUV, in a world in which too often we tithe our time and money to gods defined by national boundaries or party affiliations or racial designations, we have good news about a new world that God is busy creating that we just can't keep to ourselves. Even knowing that proclaiming it risks making us look like the very people that sometimes we kind of privately roll our eyes at. See, after Easter, everything looks different. A more compelling attachment has displaced all the attachments that have claimed our loyalties. If God has said yes to Jesus in Easter, then that changes everything. We have a story that calls into question the stories of a thousand other gods that are also clamoring for our allegiance. Being chased from town to town because you're an insufferable mansplainer, well, that's one thing. But if you run into problems because you see a different reality from the one popularly offered by the culture, a reality shaped by Easter and a God who pursues us even through the valley of the shadow of death, then take heart, you're in good company. Because better people than we have been tripped up dragging a cross around. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.